1: as monkeypox, which we've known of since the late 1950s, has begun to spread, history has started to repeat repeat itself. But it's important to know not just a virus that affects certain groups. It's actually not even a sexually transmitted infection. Anyone can get monkeypox. What what, what is it? I'm Dr. Neneha Bhattuk and you're listening to Health Discover a podcast by WebMD. Joining us today is Dr. Stella Sappho, HIV primary care physician, assistant professor of clinical medicine, ICANN School of Medicine, Mount, Mount, Mount Sinai in
2: New York. So monkeypox is a pox virus, and this is a class of viruses that includes things like smallpox, um, In particular that's the one that's kind of the closest to monkeypox and it's called monkeypox because it did come it's a zoonotic you know uh, virus that came from animals and historically what's interesting about monkeypox and i always kind of start with this because people Um, I think, don't fully kind of realize this, unlike COVID, which was a brand new virus that we had never seen. Monkeypox has been around really since like the 19, I think late 1950s, 1960s onward. And when it has infected humans, it has done so mainly in parts of sub-Saharan Africa. This is an important thing to know because it explains why we had vaccines kind of ready. And it also explains um, why it's important for us to take a global view when we think about Uh, treating and addressing different conditions in the world, because we're all connected, right? So monkeypox made its way over to us in about May of this, of 2022. And what we thought was going to be very isolated cases where maybe a handful of people would get infected, ended up having pretty widespread community infection. So monkeypox is not a new disease, it is related in closest form to smallpox, and we can talk about smallpox and why that's important to think about the story of smallpox in this. And monkeypox is a a disease that we were lucky enough to have some kind of preparation for um, because we prepared in the past for smallpox. That is really great information. I think it's really key
1: to highlight what you said before, too, is that historically it's really been animal to human transmission. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really this long chain of human to human to human Mm -hmm. after that. And now that's what we're seeing. Um, So... Can
2: you explain a little bit about what's changed? Why do we think that's happening? Yeah, so I think the takeaway for viruses is that viruses are just always going to spend their time figuring out how to outsmart us in some ways, right? What a virus does and all that a virus cares about is the ability to replicate. It doesn't really care if it kills its host. It doesn't really care if it lasts in its host for super long. It just wants to replicate and keep spreading. So what viruses will do over time is that they will mutate or they'll change in form. Um, And so that's what we're seeing with, I mean, certainly we we see it with COVID, which is why we talk about COVID with Delta, Beta, Omicron. Um, And so monkeypox as a virus does something similar where every time it goes from host reservoir, so whether it's an animal or a human, it gets a little bit smarter. And so what we're seeing with monkeypox now is that it's just effective at spreading from human to human. And, you know, it's worth thinking about how monkeypox spreads. And so, It is one of those conditions that's a little bit controversial and whether we should call it a sexually transmitted infection or not. And the reason is because monkeypox, unlike let's say something like HIV, can spread through non-sexual contact. So if someone has monkeypox and has the lesions or like the rash, from monkeypox virus on their body, and they touch up on you for a long time, or you touch their clothing, their bedding, their towels, um, you can get it that way. You didn't have, you know, any kind of intimate contact with them in terms of sexual contact, but you did come in contact with, you know, their skin or materials. Um, And and so it's just gotten better at spreading that way, which is why we're seeing it go from person to person. And we can talk about why it's spread in particular in certain communities like communities of men who have sex with men or LGBTQI community. Um, But it's important for people to know that it's not a sexually transmitted disease and that you can't only get it through sex. Um, It can be spread by contact.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's such a key point is that, you know, I think that's one of the misconceptions out there is mm-hmm. is a lot of the media sort of reporting it as a sexually transmitted disease um, when it's sexually transmissible mm-hmm. it is one of the ways that it is transmitted. But as you say, it is really more through contact. So different than COVID, which was airborne and could spread much farther um, with smaller particles. Um, but, and this is much more of a contact, uh, virus Mm -hmm. and it spreads much more in that way. So let's talk about what you said. So more, why it's affecting certain communities more or what we're hearing in the media is that it's seems predominantly to be affecting a certain population now, but that could change in the future.
2: Yeah, I mean, I always kind of go back to how it spread because I, working in HIV, think a lot about stigma. And unfortunately, if you have a disease that people put into their minds as a sexually transmitted disease, what happens when someone gets it, and God forbid it, like if a child gets it or, you know, when different groups get it is there's this assumption that you've quote unquote done something wrong or you have been... um, doing some kind of you know toxic behavior that, is, that has made you susceptible to the, to the disease. And I don't believe that for any disease, whether it's HIV or anything else, it doesn't matter how you get it. You have a disease and we have to treat you. For monkeypox, though, it's especially important because unfortunately what we were seeing um, somewhat early on was when people were thinking that it was a disease of you know gay men or when they were thinking that it was a disease that only came through sex, if someone, let's say a child got it, there was this concern that it was through molestation or some other form. So Mm. it's important for me that listeners really understand and kind of debunk that myth that it's only spread through sexual contact. But this question of which groups are getting it more is an interesting one. So if you have a disease that's spread through contact and you have individuals who tend to kind of be in relationship to each other and have more sexual interactions with each other, it makes sense that you're going to see that community have a higher rate of um, you know of this disease spread, and so that's what happened with you know um, primarily the community of men who have sex with men. We also saw monkeypox spreading with a certain subpopulation of um, sex workers, you know, men and women sex workers as well. So the idea here is that if you're in a community that's especially kind of a smaller network, and a couple of your individuals in that community may have uh, monkeypox, it's easier to then spread it to other individuals who are in that community, especially because. As I've mentioned, monkeypox is through contact, and it's sustained contact. So just because you graze up against someone who has monkeypox doesn't mean that you're going to get it. it. It really does require you to kind of sustain. And how can you sustain contact? Obviously, in intimate you know, sexual relationships, that can happen. So that's how we've seen it more in the community of men who have sex with men.
1: So then let's talk a little bit about presentation and how you can identify if somebody has the rash or someone has it. Um, how, how how are you seeing patients present?
2: Yeah. So it's actually been a little bit difficult. So um, this is a great reminder of kind of what the textbooks show, show you are not always what you see, because the classic cases of monkeypox uh, virus infection In black, you know, black individuals, because remember I said this used to be mainly Sub-Saharan Africa, the lesions are really raised and big and kind of all over the body and and kind of look a little bit more like smallpox lesions. What I have seen in my clinical practice is that it really ranges. It looks anywhere like a small, like acne outbreak to the kind of more classic umbilicated, you know, um, central depression kind of lesions. Um, and, and it really does vary in terms of where people have them. You know, you can have them on their face, they can have them in the anal genital region only. Um, some people have it on their arms and their trunks. And so, in terms of presentation, what we are seeing is that there is this prodromal phase where individuals are coming in feeling a little bit like, oh, I thought I just had the flu or I didn't feel so great. And then a few days later, they develop that characteristic rash. Um, and, and you're infectious while you have the rash until you form kind of that new layer of skin. So that can be anywhere from, you know, two to four weeks for some individuals. And unfortunately the rash for many of my patients is very painful. It's painful and it's itchy and it's uncomfortable. And that is actually one of the, one of the kind of um, giveaways that it may be monkeypox is that the rash tends to be a little bit more uncomfortable than let's say, you know, some other, um, STI-caused rashes or other things that we may see that that look like it. So the classic kind of presentation for it is a slight prodromal phase followed by a rash. I will say I've, I've definitely heard of, read, and seen some patients who said, I never had a prodromal, I, I never had anything. I just popped up with this rash. And so it is presenting a little bit differently than we've kind of learned um, in the textbook cases. So yeah, that's...
1: Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
1: It's really interesting. Uh, And so prodromal meaning just like some symptoms, like these non-specific symptoms before you see like the typical rash that everyone's kind of thinking about. Exactly. and that really makes me think about medical school and we when we kind of learned about it, it was, like you say, just more systemic, meaning it just seemed mm-hmm. like the rash was in more parts of your body. And- now, as you know, what you're saying, and what I've heard um, from other physicians that have seen it um, in patients when they're presenting, is that it can be just like really isolated to a couple of um, lesions in a, cup, in a couple of places. And it's really yeah. that painful uh, rash that seems more like a, some kind of like a telltale, like, you know, alert than it is uh, that it's all over your body or in
2: one specific space. That's exactly right, and I think part of what is happening because the original kind of teaching around monkeypox is that the mortality rate could be upwards of ten percent. Um, that was those numbers came from sub-Saharan Africa, and you have to think about some of the communities where monkeypox used to be able to be kind of more rampant, and those are places where there may be nutritional deficiencies or lack of access to healthcare, and so. I bring this up because I think part of what we saw from the again textbook cases of monkeypox is, um hosts that maybe didn't have as kind of as good baseline uh health because of different structural realities um, lack of access to food, lack of access to healthcare. And so you, you, when they got monkeypox, it would tend to be whole body it would tend to be more severe. The lesions would tend to be kind of bigger and more, you know, um, kind of angry. Um, and what you're seeing now is that you have in the U S and in other, some of these other, um, you know, um, high income countries, people who are pretty, uh, robust baseline health who are getting monkeypox, And I think that their immune systems are actually containing it quite a bit so that, the mortality rate is nowhere near 10%. In fact, it's much lower. It's been re-evaluated really kind of by the WHO to be closer to 3 to 6% overall. And in the U.S., we've only had so far three deaths from monkeypox, and I think over 25,000 individuals have been infected. And so it really does um, speak to the kind of um, reality of the host that this virus is in, in terms of what you'll end up seeing and how the person will do that down the line
1: yeah i think that is another just filled with so many points that i feel like deserve Mm -hmm. so much emphasis but exactly yeah i mean i think that when we think about any infection there's two at least two factors we should think about one is the infection itself Mm -hmm. so what are the factors of that infection that make it maybe more deadly or less deadly or more infectious less infectious and Mm -hmm. then the host, so the person who's getting it. And in our case, as as doctors, that's who we're thinking about. Um, So what baseline health do they have that makes them more or less likely to have a bad outcome with that infection? And then speaking to your point of stigma, I think it's really interesting because, I mean, we're calling the the disease monkeypox, and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of talk about trying to change that name. Um, But there are two sort of broad versions of it. So the one that came out of a location that has a lineage in a certain location that has that really high, higher mortality rate of 10%. And then the other one, the clade two that we're calling Mm -hmm. it, so clade one and clade two, which seems to be less deadly. So I think that Mm -hmm. that's an important point. So what do you think about just what's in a name and and how we should be thinking
2: about it also to destigmatize? Yeah, I think about this a lot. I think There is so much in terms of the treatment of the name and where it comes from, or where we believe that monkeypox has originated from, that matters to us. And so, anytime you have a disease that's coming out of sub Saharan Africa, there's already a history of a belief that, you know, um, some of these countries are kind of the originators of some of the most horrific diseases that mankind has seen, right? So people think about, you know, Ebola or HIV or... So it's important that there is an acknowledgement that, yes, we may see certain diseases come from certain areas. And it, it, we have to be very careful about the ways in which the understanding of that disease then gets wrapped into people's preset stereotypes about those areas. And so, you know, when people hear monkeypox, I've heard some someone said to me, is it because they eat monkeys in Africa, right? You know, there's, there's just so much stigma that I think can be associated with this. There's also this association with monkeypox that it must mean that the people who are getting it are dirty in some way, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a whole kind of history of science um, that can speak to the power of a name, the affiliations, the stereotypes, the preconceived prejudices that many of us bring into this, and even as clinicians, right? Um, and that's why it matters that, you know, um, I know public health officials in New York City have asked for it. Um, a group of scientists have petitioned, uh, you know, the international community to really think about changing this name. I and a colleague wrote about it and, and you know, have really thought, you know, ta- thought rather through what it means to try to combat a disease that already is associated with stigma because it affects a group, you know, LGBTQ um, folks who we tend to already associate with certain diseases and that carries a name that is deeply problematic. I have gotten the pushback, and I, I think that this is fair, that as we're combating monkeypox in the state of emergency, um, that we shouldn't focus so much on a name. What's in a name? Let's just kind of get, you know, as many people vaccinated and safe as possible. But I would argue exactly as you've said that we have to eventually think about what the impacts are and what the historical impact is of a disease coming from, from sub-Saharan Africa named monkeypox that is infecting a already historically marginalized group. There's just too many touch points that are probably. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's interesting. COVID, again, has given us so many learnings, but at a certain point, we stopped doing that where it was not the Indian variant anymore. You know, exactly. then we moved to Delta and Omicron and just less um, names that just have a less of a tendency to stigmatize groups and people and geographies, you know, when that's really, as we've talked about, diseases really don't know any geographic boundaries in today's day and age. At all. At all. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about prevention, because as you say, this is a, an infection that we've known about for decades, um, that we've sort of developed vaccines around, and we'll talk more about that. Um, what do we know about
2: prevention and treatment? So the good news is that prevention is much easier than some of the other things that we as a kind of global world have dealt with. So I'm thinking about COVID and trying to avoid getting sick from COVID. Monkeypox is a little bit easier because it's contact-based. If you avoid contact with those who may be infected, your chances of getting monkeypox are very low. Yes, there are some cases where it's transmitted through droplets, Um, And so if you're someone who wears masks, you get kind of a two for one, you're avoiding COVID, you're avoiding potential exposure to monkeypox. But primarily the way that people are getting monkeypox is through contact. Um, And so what I've told a lot of my patients who, you know, we talk about harm reduction techniques, right? People aren't going to necessarily stop having sex. um, But, you know, I'll say like... Just if you can have an understanding of the kind of person's, you know, um, genital region, if there's any lesions that you're seeing. And if there are lesions, you know, you really may not want to engage because it could be monkeypox, right? That's kind of one just behavioral modification that people can take on. The other is around getting vaccinated. So many people have said to me, doc, if I never hear the word vaccine again, it will be too soon because of everything that we've gone through in the last three years. But this is a place and a space where there is, wonderful um, resources around vaccines. So this is where the story of kind of smallpox comes into it. As many people know, smallpox is eradicated. It's one of the conditions that we've successfully eradicated, meaning that we've gotten rid of smallpox as as a disease. And if you ever see smallpox in the world, it would be considered an act of bioterrorism, because right now it only exists in kind of laboratories, right? And because it could really decimate the population, smallpox has a mortality rate of 30%. governments like our government has stockpiled vaccines to be able to protect people if smallpox let's say was released into you know into the world and so it just so happens that those vaccines um, are also effective against monkeypox because as i said you know they're all in the pox family and those are the vaccines that we're able to use and so in terms of prevention you want to go you want to get a vaccine if you're in a group that's considered high risk you want to get a vaccine, and the vaccines have been shown to be 14 times um, more effective than no vaccine in preventing you from getting monkeypox, even if you're exposed. So I cannot say enough things about the kind of importance of vaccination in, in, in this particular case. So you want to modify your behaviors if you can't get vaccinated, and um, you definitely want to get vaccinated if you can.
1: And who should be thinking about getting vaccinated? What who are the high risk groups that we're talking about? We've talked about men who have sex with men. Who else is considered high risk?
2: Yeah, so you know, it's um it's an interesting space because these vaccines are coming from the kind of national stockpile, there aren't enough of them. So the folks who are considered high risk may not necessarily be able to get access to the vaccines, but I will tell you who we consider high risk. Certainly if you are engaged in transactional sex and may have multiple sex partners, man or woman, you you want to consider. Um, getting vaccinated, if you're able to. Healthcare workers that are treating individuals, we are wearing, you know, uh, personal protective equipment, um, but it's an added layer in case you are exposed. Because as I've mentioned, it the, this um, monkeypox virus can survive pretty well on surfaces and on, you know, on on, like, within the environment. So I would say that those groups, if they're able to get access, they should. But because we haven't had enough, the priority has been to actually cut up the, or, divide up the doses of the current vaccine that we have so that we can get it to more individuals who are within the LGBTQI community to make sure that those individuals who are seeing the majority of infections, I think over 95% of monkeypox infections in the U.S. are among um, members of the LGBTQI community. And so if you're in that group, those are the folks who really want to be pushing to get um, get vaccinated. There is, in some places, because of the issues with supply, there is a requirement that you have to have at least two partners in the last six months. Um, but in many places, if you just identify as you know, a man who has sex with men, you're able to go ahead and get your vaccine series.
1: And what is the series? So is that how many shots is that? How far apart? What should people know about the vaccine? Super easy. Season?
2: Yeah, I love that question because it's like one of those, it's like, it's not like COVID where you have to go and get a booster and, you know, this one is super easy. You go in, um, most places are doing intradermal shots, which is like if you've ever had a PPD placed, um, it goes underneath the skin and you get a little like bubble that forms. And the bubble is how you know that the shot went in. So you get that injection and then four weeks later, you get another injection and you're considered totally immune to monkeypox. You, if you are someone who forms keloids, so this happens a lot of times with, um uh, folks with darker skin, you know, black Americans definitely know about keloids. If you're someone who has keloids, you can tell your healthcare provider and they will give you the full subcutaneous dose so that you don't have to worry about getting a keloid from the from the intradermal dose. But again, super easy, two doses, one um, you know, at time 0 and then 4 weeks later you get your second dose.
1: So interesting. You know, it's funny, my husband is a gastroenterologist. So we were talking about it and and his concerns about exposure um, and his staff, um, because you're doing colonoscopies and you're really sort of working in an area where there may be lesions, um, and so paying attention to that and and really attending to that and and allowing other staff members to be prepared and and to help them consider you know their safety, they per- they're already doing personal protective equipment and stuff, but just to be mindful of it. Um, so any other types of groups, healthcare providers, other people that you're really trying to inform about being mindful
2: and and thinking about it? Yeah, actually, there's a group of um, folks who are home health aides or folks who are like medical assistants that do a lot of care for individuals, and you're kind of touching bedding and touching individual skin. Um, There's just a reminder that we have out to them, you know, like you want to wear gloves, you want to be mindful of kind of how your skin is exposed. It just so happens that the population that they tend to treat, like older folks, won't necessarily be like, you know, super high risk for this, but, um, we're just, we're, you know, because again, it's contact. You want to think about exactly as you, as you did with your husband, who's a GI doc. You want to think about who's having more contact with folks, you know, in that area for a sustained period where you could get, um, you know, possible transmission.
1: And what happens if, what should someone do if they know that they've had an exposure? So um, they find out that a sexual partner had monkeypox. Um, what, what is the sort of the right steps for them to take?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple of steps they want to take right away. They want to, um, and this is hard because everyone has to work, but you actually do want to spend some, you want to actually isolate because if you are someone who has, has an exposure, you could convert. And so um, you want to definitely not have any new sexual partners. You want to isolate if you're able to. If you're not able to isolate, you'll say you have to go out and get tested. You want to cover up, God forbid, if you get any lesions, you want to cover up your lesions, you want to wear a mask. Um, If you've had sex with a partner after your exposure, the timing kind of matters, but the easiest thing that I tell my patients is if you've had sex with new partners, let them know that they've been exposed as well. And the reason is because viruses really spread if you don't kind of stop the spread, right? If you don't stop the kind of host-to-host spread. So in an example like this, where someone's been exposed, the more people that you can let know who may have also been exposed, who can kind of stop you know, or practice certain safe behaviors, the less likely the virus will be to continue to spread. So once you've done all of that, Um, you actually do want to get in touch with healthcare providers like a public health office or something and let them know that you've been exposed to monkeypox. Um, And you may be able to get the post-exposure monkeypox vaccine. So if you weren't vaccinated before, they will give you a vaccine afterwards in hopes that even if you do get sick, your likelihood of having a very severe course will be less. Um, And so you want to isolate, you want to inform your partners, um, and then you want to vaccinate if, if you're able to.
1: It's just, you know, it, it's really so important that we learn from COVID because um, a lot of these things we just were not, I mean, I think vaccine hesitancy and just a lot of these things that were sort of, you know, in the zeitgeist um, have gotten more so, um, but yet we, we're hearing a lot more about vaccines, isolation, stay home if you're sick. Um, mm-hmm. And it just seems like, you know, that whole thing of like, I'm just going to power through it. We've now at least hopefully come to a point where people are more aware and willing to t- take a step back and, and stay away from others if they feel like yeah. they have an infection.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I just wish that our, you know, super capitalistic charge society would also support you know, some of these desired behavior changes, right? It'd be great to stay home if you have COVID. And unfortunately some folks can't can't get that luxury. Um, I will say for monkeypox, one thing that we are doing is if you are diagnosed with monkeypox and it's clear that you have it, you know, absolutely go to your healthcare provider, have them write you a letter. There are some folks who are even able to get short-term disability so that, you know, their jobs are protected um, because the timing, as i mentioned, you have to shed the skin that has the rash and then form a new layer of skin that takes a while. So the timing for that is two to four weeks or more. Um, For many people, that's just like disaster for work. And so really use the resources Mm -hmm. to be able to take the time that you need to, to heal.
1: That is, that is a really important point. And, and also something with regard to to COVID, I think, what do you, you know, we have really been thinking about the failures in the public health system, in clinical care, when it came to sort of COVID and our COVID response. Do you feel like we handled monkeypox better? If not, in your, if you could wave a magic wand, how do you wish that we, we would have sort of addressed the, the monkeypox outbreak?
2: Yeah. I got to say in the beginning, I was really terrified. I was like, I cannot believe we're making some of the same mistakes. And the mistakes that I saw is that we were moving very slowly in terms of contact tracing. And we were, we were misrepresenting the ways in which monkeypox was spread so that people were confused. So similar to COVID, we weren't educating the public in the appropriate way. I think we got lucky in that monkeypox was spread into a community that is really good at disease management. Because the LGBTQ community, having come through HIV, they led the way. They advocated for the vaccines. They pushed the vaccines come to them. So whether it is at clubs, at you know, gay events, um, at bathhouses, whatever it was, um, you know, there, there are providers that identify you know um, as gay who were able to kind of speak to it as trusted messengers. So there's just all these things that I think they were able to do well. That the public health response didn't necessarily do so well, that made up for it. And we're lucky, again, this is just, we're, we're in part just lucky that monkeypox spreads much less efficiently than an airborne virus like COVID, so that you really can do some pretty decent contact tracing. Um, to be able to get from case to case. I think that combination is why we're seeing what we're seeing. But had you asked me in the first six weeks after the you know first few cases, how we were doing, I would have said, we've learned nothing from COVID. Um, I think we've learned some things. And I think that the communities really are the ones that's you know stepped up and have really moved some some of these improvements forward. It is still, though, a space where I think we have more work that we can do. For example, it was devastating to see in certain areas that the vaccinations that were rolled out for all, you know, all populations within um, folks who identified as men who have sex with men. That um, I think it was it was in certainly in New York, but also I believe in in South Carolina that we saw that Black and Latino men who had higher rates of monkeypox infections had the lowest rates of vaccinations. We all know this lesson from COVID, right? The folks who were dying the most from COVID are historically marginalized populations. And yet they, especially in the beginning when vaccines were rolled out, were not getting signed up for vaccines the same way because of some structural challenges. The vaccine sites were, you know, in the city or not in their communities or the vaccine appointments were not available. So we saw some of that same thing happen with the early rollout of, of monkeypox vaccines. And again, over time, we were able to kind of right that ship. But we really have to have an equity lens right away because we know that certain groups are going to be left behind. And those are the same groups that are actually suffering more from the disease. And so I hope going forward that we can just create solutions that address that from, from kind of from the very beginning.
1: You make such an interesting point about the communities and sort of their their the community being receptive to and sometimes proactively requesting or asking or demanding um, the appropriate sort of steps be taken. So give us axi- a- access to the vaccines. How do we get that moving? And just being aware that this kind of condition or disease or, you know, it doesn't have to just be an infectious condition is spreading within a certain community? How do we take proactive steps to to combat that? And, and sometimes, unfortunately, with the way that our healthcare system is so fragmented, it, it really almost depends on communities coming together to demand this kind of access to the appropriate care prevention strategies, vaccines, what have you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that the um lessons that like, i continue to take away and i think about this a lot in my own work with um practice transformation is just like how much better our healthcare delivery system could be if we allowed our our healthcare consumers to lead right like to really create um just just to create healthcare delivery with that focus in mind because exact monkey box is a perfect example right like we provided the resources we provided the information and we saw how folks really stepped up in their own in their own kind of communities to be like, we're going to handle ourselves. We're going to take care of this ourselves. I saw something very similar with COVID. You know, when it was clear that um, Black populations weren't getting the vaccines as much, there were many community groups who were like, we're going to go door to door to our community members and figure out a way to get these vaccines into them. Um, and so I think that it's just, it's a reminder of, um, that sometimes our top-down way of like thinking about healthcare improvements and delivery isn't always right, but, that it really does need to be from the very beginning, co-designed with the folks who are most impacted. That is hard to do because, you know, these diseases don't wait for us to pull together the convening mm-hmm. and the round table or, you know, but um, mm-hmm. I just think, I think COVID has shown us this, monkeypox is showing this to us. We really have to figure out our way to let our healthcare consumers lead us in the ways that we roll out solutions, especially around solutions that impact, you know, hundreds of thousands of individuals and involve these pathogens that are just going to really be here to stay, unfortunately.
1: Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems
1: and uh, you make an excellent point that doing it in the in real time in the moment where there is an issue or a spreading infection it's probably not the best time to create these community engagement opportunities it's really something yeah. that needs to be done in between, you know, yeah. times of panic and times of you know when you when you really just need to get the work done. So I, th- I think that that is hopefully a, a key lesson that uh, we take away as healthcare providers. Yes. Another question that I'm getting a lot from from people. So we know that monkeypox traditionally spread as we talked about zoonotic disease. So from animal to human, we're seeing a lot more human transmission now with this the, the clade that we're seeing currently, So are we seeing human to animal transmission?
2: You know, I may not be the best to answer that question because I only remember one um, report of um, an individual, of a couple who had monkeypox who spread it to their dog, but I didn't actually go in and like do a proper kind of review of that literature. My understanding is that that is absolutely possible And um, what it then means, and the reason why that kind of matters is that you can imagine, you know, as as we've said, monkeypox is is a disease of contact. So you can imagine that the implications of that is that the more animals, people that have it, the kind of more potential spread, excuse me, potential community spread. And it particularly matters if you're thinking about, let's say you're in a household where you yourself have monkeypox and you're doing a great job staying away from your children but you're with your dog all the time. And then the dog is going off to, you know, hang out with your kids. That could be a way that we are kind of spreading from multiple angles. Um, But I will say, I I definitely haven't spent quite as much time thinking about that question of like, what does it mean in terms of the implications of, um, you know, household pets to humans spread back and forth? And how does that impact, you know, overall kind of, management of the disease. It is though something that I think has been seen to happen. And so as you think about isolating, it's just another kind of factor to roll in.
1: Anything you wish that we all knew about it, that we're just not talking about um, the current sort of monkeypox outbreak, and thankfully, which seems to be slowing down the rates of yes. infection. Um, what, what should we know? Um, and uh, what else have I not asked you that you're hoping to get out there?
2: Yeah, I would say that one of the things that's really important to know is that if you think you have monkeypox, even if you don't um, think that your doctor can do a lot, it's worth going in to get properly uh, tested because those numbers really do matter for how many resources will be given to um, continue to combat this. And also monkeypox, as I've mentioned, the lesions can be quite painful so your doctor can prescribe medications that'll help you to have a better course. The third thing that we didn't really talk about, but that's important for us to keep in mind is that there are treatments for those who may become very sick from monkeypox infection. Um, and there are certain places where you can get the rash that could be really damaging. So for instance, if the rash is close to your eyes, ocular monkeypox is actually a medical emergency, that there's medication um, that you can be given called tecovirimat or TPox, which you can get... Um, to be able to treat it. It's a little bit less, it's not an easy medication to get because again, it's considered experimental. We haven't had to use it um, you know, uh, in this country quite, quite as much. And so it's a very lengthy process in most places to be able to get it. However, it is available. And, I, and so it's important for people to know that if you have monkeypox, you don't just have to kind of suffer in silence. You want to seek clinical care. And if you feel like you need it, you want to advocate and push for you know additional treatments to make your course of disease better. And then I think the only other thing that I would mention is that, you know, what we're seeing with first COVID and now monkeypox and other conditions is is the new world that we're in, right? The impact of climate change um, and what it is doing to kind of the overall planetary warming means that um, combined with kind of our global movements that we're going to see more and more pathogens um, and infectious diseases that are just going to be spreading. And so I tell my patients to just think through and have a plan, right? Where do you go for trusted public health information? I hope it's not Facebook, <laughs> but you know, mm-hmm. like, do you do you have a site that you can go and check and understand what it is that's coming up? Um, do you have the kind of resources together to be able to get things that might keep you safe? Like, you know, um, for COVID, it was masks and you know um, hand sanitizer. But do you have something kind of aside to, for you to be able to just do that? that work to be safe. And then, you know, God forbid, if we have a disease that's super infectious, do you have a plan in place to keep you and your family safe while we get more information and get things under control? Not at all to be fear mongering. I think we could all live our lives and be very happy, but we live in a world now we're seeing this, where we have more and more infectious diseases globally that are impacting all of us. I think we all just need to be ready.
1: I think that is a key and critical point is that again, kind of get breaking that cycle of just ignoring everything and then being in panic mode to just recognize that the world with climate change with the way the interface between where humans live where animals traditionally had their homes and were not encroached upon um, we're just interacting with these sources for potential infection um, much more frequently than we did and that we're in a global world so things spread Um, And things can spread fast depending on how infectious um, a new pathogen is. So as a primary care doctor, you know, I think that one of the biggest things, like you said, I love like just really thinking through what your action plan is, but also just building resilience in your own personal health um, to boost your health, to try to mitigate chronic disease in yourself. Because as we talked about, it's not just the infection. It's how strong are you um, when you face that infection, a lot of systemic barriers to maintaining health and, um, you know, um, preventing chronic disease. But I think if we can also think about that, we're also preparing ourselves well for potential pathogens that we, we know will come, not, not mm-hmm. if they'll come, but we, we know that they probably will come.
2: Absolutely. Very well said. <laughs>
1: this was great. I'm so thankful to you for the time. Uh, anything else?
2: No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you about this. This will
1: conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.